Welcome back to part number two of the movie spiel. The movie spiel strikes back episode V, episode five, whatever you want to fucking call it. This is our big bad Star Wars episode. Episode uh, that is all dedicated to everything about Star Wars, but not necessarily specific film reviews. If you've never heard our podcast, or if you want to know other ways to listen to our podcast, you can hear us on Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spotify. I'm Alex Wiederspiel, and I've got Ryan Edsel on the line. Ryan, it's part two. That's right. What's up, man? I love this. I love this so much. Part one was a doozy. Part one, part one was just, I, I just, uh... What'd you call it? My righteous indignation. That's what it I is. I think it was. I think. I think I was projecting there. I mean, you were yeah. definitely angry, but I was also. Proje- you know what? Because we were both righteously indignant about. So the first forty minutes of that episode were basically just you and I bitching about how shitty this fan base is. Yeah, that fan base sucks balls, and then we go in and we just do our do our thing. I think we're. Uh, you know what? I'm kind of a hypocrite. <laughs> I, think I don't that's know. Fine. I feel pretty removed from the Star Wars fan base because I, I mean, I really do. Like, I don't feel the same level of vitriol like yes i i am and we're going to talk a little bit about this in this part um i i would obviously like to have seen some differences in the sequel trilogy and i think you're going to highlight some of the film things i'm going to highlight some of the ways they could have borrowed from the original expanded universe which for the record the sequel trilogy did they just didn't do it very well or or very cleanly um and and i think we're going to talk a little bit about that but also the big thing that i want to start with um I, oh, I got to talk about the Star Wars video games because it is it's weird because I think the the gaming culture of Star Wars that has developed over the last 30 years is part of what might be driving some of the vitriol in the fan base I don't like. But I'm also so wildly impressed at the Star Wars gaming community because they have they're so dedicated to this very multifaceted aspect and I'm going to jump right into it now because I, I want to express my admiration on a couple of, of different levels first of all um, you know for those who who aren't aware a lot of the Star Wars video games of the last 30 years outside of really uh, Dark Forces and Knights of the Old Republic most of these games are not the type of games that your typical gamer is going to be like oh my god that game changed my life it's the greatest game ever most of them are the type of games that are aimed at people like Ryan and I they are aimed at using the Star Wars IP to drive us to go buy an Xbox 360 and then buy Knights of the Old Republic or Jedi Starfighter or whatever fucking game we could possibly buy that being said you can find most of these games now, uh, Star Wars games on Steam. Uh, the original Dark Forces, which really is one of the greatest first-person shooters of all time, did a lot for the, the genre and, and uh, came out around the same time as, as Doom. That right there is sort of you know one of those little little pieces, little crown jewels in the, in the Star Wars uh, belt that they can, or a notch in the belt, if you will, that they can really claim is Dark Forces. And then the the actual series that it spawned, the Jedi Knight series, following Kyle Katarn, who is quite literally the most popular expanded universe character ever created. Well, your blessed ship is going to be in the repair bay for the next few days. Uh, how's it look? Nothing that a crate full of money which you don't have wouldn't solve. Like always, I owe you. Can you take care of her for me? You're not going after Jarek, are you? No. I'm going back to my father's home in Sulan. Can you meet me there when you're finished with the crow? Of course. Is everything okay? 
I don't know. I'll find out when I get there. IGN, the, the gaming site, actually ranked him as one of the greatest video game characters of all time. So Kyle Katarin, who remains and is, is essentially his future in the current iteration of Star Wars, is, I would actually say, in limbo is generous. I think he's, I think for all intents and purposes, there's no way he can ever exist in this current iteration of Star Wars. But, um, so it spawned Kyle Katarin in, in four games. You got Knights of the Old Republic in 2003, which is probably to this day the single best epitome of Star Wars in any form outside of the original trilogy films. And there are some people who would argue that Knights of the Old Republic, the first one, is actually the best version of Star Wars. Darth Malak. Damn you, Darth! Ooh. <laughs> you cannot hide from what you once were, Revan. Recognize that you were once the Dark Lord, and know that I have taken your place. The sequel is is good, not great, but what's really interesting here, and this is where I, why I wanted to focus on this gaming community, is that what has occurred is that over the years, uh, KOTOR 2 was actually rushed out because of the success of the first one, and a lot of content was cut, and over the years... A combination of fans and old developers have restored a lot of the lost content to the PC version, which is now available on Steam. And I think that level of dedication to wanting this complete story is not just admirable, but it actually it's one of the things that really makes me love this this universe and sometimes even love this fan base because there is a level of devotion to this world that has been created from the mind of George Lucas so many decades ago. And people want to help continue fleshing that world out, even if it means restoring content that was lost in a game that came out 15 fucking years ago. Similarly, there is the entire uh, mod crew who has modified the one of the greatest and most unheralded real-time strategy games ever made, Star Wars Empire at War. This is a 14-year-old video game that I still play. I still get the hankering to play the original, but now I'm actually beyond that even because what I found in the last couple of years was an online community dedicated to modifying the game to update the story and create new campaigns out of it despite the fact that it's running on an engine for PC that is 14 fucking years old. They've done really impressive work with this game. My personal favorite is, uh, uh, and there's many of these, by the way, there's, there's an old... Uh, Old Republic version of this, uh, the same developer who does um, the same mod, mod developer who does the uh, the Thrawn's Revenge, which is my personal favorite, is wants to work on one in the set in the Knights of the Old Republic era, um, and these are all real time strategy campaigns where you are controlling both the navy and the army of either the Rebellion or the Empire, or in the case of these new mods. Uh, many other different factions that they've actually added into the games. They've had people working essentially for free, designing ships from the original expanded universe. So the Super Star Destroyer, the which by the way, I, I, I didn't want to correct you earlier, but I'm going to do it now. It was the Executor, not the Executioner. Fuck! I, it's okay. I, I, <laughs> I'm I so have, embarrassed. Star Wars history, I took a literal Star Wars history class. I have a problem. Oh. I admit it. 
So, but so like literally the executor is available in these games, as is the Lasankia, which is another one of these superstar destroyers that was built in the expanded universe story, controlled by Asani Isard, um, who is one of the bigger and more important villains in the book series that follows um, the Return of the Jedi, the what is now considered to be Legends. So the point that I'm making, though, is that now I can play this fucking video game, this Empire at War game, a game that I literally played in my college dorm room as a freshman in 2007, and at that time was like, whoa, this is so cool, I can control Star Destroyers, and I can build Mon Calamari cruisers, and I can build B-Wings, and like I have control mass armies, and this is awesome. Now it's been updated to include campaign modes that are either even even more intense that follow the original film trilogy or I can do like the old Republic or I can do the best one of all Thrawn's revenge by a YouTuber named Corey loses. And uh, Thrawn's revenge is literally from the day after return of the Jedi up until the start of the Yuuzhan Vong invasion, which is the new Jedi order, uh, the new Jedi order book series, the 19 book series I told you about in the previous part of this episode. So we're talking about hours upon hours of expanded content made by people who are essentially either doing it for for free or are doing it only through a Patreon account. And I am so wildly impressed by the passion and the the vigor and the desire to keep this aspect of the Star Wars universe alive because I have always felt that the video games were really underrated. Don't get me wrong, just like any video game or just like any very any famous IP or property, there is going to be a video game that is a quick cash grab. If you think if you go back to most of the Harry Potter video games from my childhood, they were all not very good quick cash grabs. They were interesting, but overall not that great. But some of these Star Wars games, while many of them did follow that same principle, I would say some of the ones that have stood the test of time. Empire at War, Knights of the Old Republic, Jedi Knight. These are games that have continued to develop a hardcore fan base. You can now play the the, the sequel to Knights of the Old Republic to the Sith Lords. You can now play the sequel to that, the MMO, the Old Republic is now free to download on Steam. It's completely free. Of course, the MMO, MMO in many ways has gone the way of the dinosaur. At least it doesn't have MMOs don't have as much hype as they once did 12 years ago or so. But that one, I remember seeing it and the original cinematic trailer that came out for it was fucking incredible. And I, I've dabbled in the Old Republic. It's not bad. It's not great, but it's 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 entertaining and it's worth spending some time on. And my point with all of this is that the fact that this exists at all and it can exist totally outside of Disney and it can exist totally outside of mainstream Star Wars is to me, it, it's everything because it, no one is gatekeeping these communities. And yet at the same time, I really feel like when you're a part of these communities, you can have a little slice of Star Wars for yourself. Everyone at least deserves to have their own slice of Star Wars. We don't deserve to gatekeep that slice. But if we all deserve our own slice, and for me, that that is how I feel about these video games that people are continuing to modify and continuing to support throughout all these years. 
It's really impressive. That is something that exists, and it takes me back all the way. So the beautiful thing is that there, if you go back, the sort of there are two Star Wars RTS games that I played before Empire at War, which was definitely the best, but it came out at a time when when RTS wasn't even really a niche in the market anymore. I think it might be a little bit more so now, but it definitely, I mean, RTSs are, are real-time strategies. They're just not, people aren't that interested in those anymore. The two that came before that, one was a game called Force Commander, and the other was a game called uh, Galactic Battlegrounds. And I, most people would I, like... Yeah, I remember the, Force Commander. And, well, Galactic Battlegrounds, more people will know that one because it's literally, it is it is shot for shot, graphic for graphic, whatever the terminology would be, it's a literal direct, like, same engine, same everything as the very famous RTS Age of Empires games, but just with Star Wars stuff in it instead. And that's fine. That's I mean, I lost a ton of time playing those as a kid. But Force Commander was sort of ahead of its time, and if it weren't quite so clunky, Mac clunky, if it weren't quite <laughs> oh, so clunky, Jesus. it probably would have done better. Force Commander is probably one of the most interesting... Star Wars stories ever told. It's just unfortunate that it's told in a not very good game. And I'm just going to give you a little backstory on Force Commander because this this is what reminded me that Star Wars could be more than just the saga of Luke Skywalker. So so Force Commander is about two brothers, Bren and Delis Tantor, who grow up to become Imperial officers. They join the Stormtrooper Corps, which I much prefer to the idea of clones. They, they eventually join the Stormtrooper Corps late in the, not super long before A New Hope, but long enough that most of the clones are likely been replaced by, by real, real people at this point. And they serve, they serve with Valor. Dellis eventually goes and becomes part of Imperial Intelligence. Bren becomes a, a, a colonel. He becomes, a, a, you know, essentially a, a, a field commander. And you follow Bren's story mostly as he uh, works for the Empire and as he becomes more and more disillusioned with what is happening inside the Empire and realizing essentially that he is, in fact, supporting a fascist regime. And he... His story and his story of redemption occurs following a massacre, a genocidal massacre that he had no part in, but he was essentially forced to witness as these refugees on a planet uh, called Abradon are just massacred. Hello, come on. General. Bren, I'll meet up with you in person at your next destination, Kalam. We'll discuss your insubordination. One other thing. Your brother was killed on his way to rule. His entire unit was eliminated by a rebel sneak attack. At least one member of your family understood his duty. You've disgraced his honor with your actions. Russian countries. Holocom, coded frequency 10 PFC 11. General. I'm in, Tasking. I'll be at Kalan in two days. And he runs all sorts of really cool missions. He helps them steal an ATAT. He helps them acquire the A-wings that that help them win in the Battle of Endor. And my favorite part of all is it's I think the only game that ever allowed you to engage in the siege of Coruscant three years later. So you actually liberate Coruscant in the game. That was so much fucking fun and it was so complex and there was so much strategy involved and again the game itself was I think really ahead of its time in so many ways it just 
there it had its issues again one of them being it was very very clunky but the story was great and my favorite little aside with this is that as i've i've waxed poetic for like fucking 15 minutes on these video games the guy who voices bren tantor uh the main character also voices kyle katarin in the jedi knight jedi academy game and the jedi outcast game which was the sequel to um the original jedi knight game which was one of the last Star Wars video games to use real humans. There was actually a real human cast as Kyle Katarin and Jan Ors and Jarek. And after that, they moved totally to the animation and, and uh, of video games. And, and this, I can't think of the actor, the voice actor's name at the moment, but the same guy who does Brent Tantor does Kyle Katarin. And it's little things like that that make me feel more connected to this universe and, and remind me of what I loved about this in the first place is that Star Wars has the potential to be so big and we can survive with stories that don't revolve around the Skywalkers and the Solos and this is exactly why when I look at a film like Rogue One even though Rogue One is technically not about the Skywalkers and the Solos Rogue One can't get out of its own way in trying to be fan service to the original trilogy when really what what I'm looking for from Star Wars in the future. The lesson to learn here is that you could make a Knights of the Old Republic trilogy of films. You could do something about Kyle Katarn and put that to film or make a TV series about Kyle Katarn. These stories would work. They don't need... And The Mandalorian has essentially proved that. Oh, yeah. These stories will work. And so that's what I want to take away more than anything else from these video games. Obviously, I love being a part of that, uh, being able to be a part of that community, even as as sort of this anonymous person who just plays these games and sometimes reads YouTube comments and watches, you know, YouTube videos and playthroughs of Empire at War. But the fact of the matter is you can get really entertaining Star Wars content without fucking forcing us to shit on the ending of the original trilogy, which was the true end of that story. And, yes. and so that's why I wanted to to get into this a little bit. I don't know how much... I know you, you're you a Battlefront guy. Well, okay, I'm not... Listen, man, you you have taken this to such such a level that I, I never, ever... Um, I never actually pursued that kind of level with it. I've always been a fan of the movies, and that's just because I'm a movie buff. So I've always been a fan of specifically the movies, and then the, the video games always came around... You know, they were always secondary. And, and even even still, I didn't really care too much because I've never been much of a gamer. So when Shadow, you know, like like Shadows of the Empire came out, and I actually love that game. I still love that game. It's a lot of fun. I think the controls are real shitty com- considering it was a Nintendo, you know, I didn't play it on PC. PC is a lot more in-depth. There's like actual video clips and shit with it. But my experience with that game is on N64, which I think the only thing I complain about that game is the control, the controls. Like really the, they didn't, they didn't adapt it to an N64 controller that well. I didn't think anyway. I I really enjoyed that. That was the most like expanded universe kind of stuff that I really got into with Prince Zizor or Zizor or however you pronounce it. Um, all of that stuff. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. All that stuff. I, I thought that was Zizor. cool. I knew of a lot of the other things, but and I played a few of the video games when they came out. Like um, I, I, like what what was it? Uh, uh, Episode One Racer, which was pretty neat. And uh, the the um, Jedi Starfighter and some of that. I never played Battlefront or Battlefront Two, the originals, and that's a that's a real shame because apparently they're they're just really really detailed and really really well done and a lot of fun. 
And um, I just I just missed out on it. Now they're like almost like collector's items at this point. But um, when Battlefront the remake basically came out in 2015, uh, that's actually when I got a PS4. So that was God bless. That was fucking almost five years ago. I got the bundle with it, and uh, and I played that shit online. Now that that game, it really kind of pissed me off, realizing that there's no campaign and at the time when it first came out it did not have any kind of any kind of real single player offline mode it was all basically online that was pretty odd that was that felt like a total like well we're going to take star wars but we're going to try and like it's almost like they forgot that the thing that makes star wars so much fun isn't people like like they thought that that modern gaming where we want to compete against one another which i I've, I've never had much interest in they thought that's what people wanted out of Star Wars when in reality they wanted what you wanted Ryan they wanted that single player campaign because you want to be Luke Skywalker you want to be that's Lando it. Calrissian all you it wanted be... to do all it did was just play on the nostalgia because that's that it came out at the same time as like right ahead of the Force Awakens which was fine and um, I thought it was cool you know I, I it looks it's still like the the graphics are on it are still fantastic and I thought the gameplay mechanics were really good and, um, but listen, here's my, here's my history with basically with like gaming in general. Um, I play, I never really had a, I didn't have a console until like my Nintendo 64. And that's, uh, it's because my, my parents, particularly my dad, he, he might listen to this. I don't know. He, he said this literally, uh, to my face, we're not having any of this Nintendo like that in that shitty tone. And that's, <laughs> that's my dad, whatever. I love you, dad, if you're listening. But um, no, and then but I had like a Game Boy, I had a Game Gear. But anytime I play video games, it was like I play with my friends at their houses. But then like we play Mortal Kombat a lot, and that was that's always to this day that's probably my favorite video game s- series. It's probably my whole thing. And if you ever want to do a video game episode, by the way, and go through all that and then talk about the video games compared to the movies and everything, I will happily do a Mortal Kombat. We episode. should totally do that. Mortal Kombat is just. Great. I think it's still great. I, I don't love care. that movie. I love it. The it's first one is fantastic. Pleasure. But I digress. Uh, no, so I, I I never really did much with the... I, I played... I got my N64, and when I got my 64, I got Shadows of the Empire, and I got Goldeneye. I played Goldeneye a whole hell of a lot more, but I, I still like Shadows of the Empire, and I still own it, and it's great. Captain, I do not understand. Why do you not want Commander Skywalker and the others to know that we survived and made the jump to hyperspace? Well, as much fun as that was, I don't see us joining the ranks of that crazy rebellion. Too dangerous and too much money to be made elsewhere, my friend. You know, throughout the years, I never really cared much else about getting any of those other games. Then I got the Lego games for, like, my PS2, which actually, those are, like, the first Lego games that came out, or the Star Wars ones. And they were a lot of fun. And um, and then, yeah, then years and years later, I kind of get back into it a little bit, and I start playing Star Wars Battlefront online, and I got fucking far <laughs> i think like as far as my xp as far as all the all the shit you get you know i i got a lot of it and i and i just thought it was funny though how they were so they were main they were really trying to keep to the original trilogy with the first battlefront thing from 2015 they were trying so hard that they made uh oh my god some of the people that they made playable characters like nine numb they're just inventing shit. Like, Nine Numb was, like, a sharpshooter or whatever. And I'm sure he was. I don't fucking know. But, like, they're putting that shit and making it canon. Fucking uh, Dangar. <laughs> Which is just... And he sounds like Jason Statham. And I think that's just great. You know? But having, um, like, Bosk in there was pretty sweet. Playing as, uh, as 
you know, and then of course playing as people like the Emperor, you know, playing 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 the Emperor in the Battle of Jakku, which makes not much sense, but it's fine. But I like how when they released Battlefront Two, which I hesitated to get because of the all of the the loot crate controversies and EA basically just not understanding its fan base at all, not understanding the player base, I mean. But they basically disrespected it. I ended up buying Battlefront 2. They're like the worst video game company. I mean, again, I'm actually not a huge gamer, but from what I understand from being a fan of the games that they make and from hardcore gamers who are willing to you know branch out across like lots of other series... EA is like a fucking predator. It's like a predatory company. I never felt guilty. Here's what's up. I paid three. I paid two ninety nine for my PS4, and it came with uh, a download. A download of uh, of Battlefront One. So that I didn't. I don't feel like I really. I kind of bought it because I really wanted that game for one thing. But like, I also. Uh, it, it's not like I was sh- shelling out four hundred bucks for a system plus another seventy dollars for the game. And then when Battlefront 2 came out and everything I read about it, I'm like, I'm good. I'm fine right now. I'm I'm fine. I don't care. And then uh, and then it fu- I was fucking around on like the PlayStation Store, and it was seven dollars and so many cents. It was like seven dollars and forty one cents or some weird shit. I'm just like, what? Okay. So I'm like, yeah, it's worth seven dollars. I'm not. I, I'm I'm so glad I wasn't a sucker and bought it for sixty. For everything that it, you know, the 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 very short but I fi- I found satisfying. Um, uh, uh, campaign story with Iden Versio was really well done. I thought, well acted. It was a lot of fun, um, and I thought the gameplay. You know, I got as, I got as into the online play for that one, if not more than the uh, the other stuff. I thought it was. Um, I thought the mechanics this time around were a little bit better. I I like. I just like it better, and I like the fact that they said, you know, live your star, basically living your Star Wars fantasy, which is awesome. I'm at the Rebel base on Yavin for. And I'm fucking, I am Rey, and I'm fighting Darth Maul. Like, that's just cool as shit. I mean, that's kind of the cover of the video game. But, like, dude, I was, I, I'm playing as, as as Luke Skywalker, and I'm fighting, um, no, no, I'm Darth Vader fighting Anakin Skywalker. Like, that's hilarious. I'm Luke Skywalker in that yellow jacket from the throne room, right? <laughs> like with my just that's just cool as shit. I'm running around fucking uh the some clone wars thing. I I, I there's just that's the coolest shit. It's like playing with toys when you're a little kid. It's it, I thought that game was a lot of fun. And and it had its it had its merits. And you know, I I understand when people shit all over it. But I I got on it when it was kind of waning and and they updated a bunch of stuff and and it was a lot of it was a lot of fun. But I didn't buy the celebration version that came out right what at the in December, I guess, in ahead of the rise of skywalker i just did not give a fuck but um the last time i went on and messed around with it there's a lot to do offline on it now which is cool so i don't because i don't fucking have time but when i do uh you can play as bb8 now just as a character as a hero he's really fun and you can play as um uh, wicket (laughs) which is hilarious it's so great. I mean, it's bullshit. Like, Wicket can't do shit, man. You come, you get Wicket up against Count Dooku, you're fucked. Like, that's... There's nothing you can do. Count Dooku's gonna... And there's a... Like, you can get all these cool little outfits. Like, I got Leia and her and her buns and her white robe and everything. I got... Uh, there's literally... There's a Count Dooku in, like, this kimono. They're, like, his pajamas, basically. His robes. Like, his jammies. With his little slippers. It's weird. I, God bless him, man. That guy's the shit. But uh, no, it, I thought as far as video games are concerned, man, that, like 
I thought that was I thought that was good. And also I went back and I and I really tried to get through the first levels of um Super Star Wars, Super Empire Strikes Back and Super Return of the Jedi. Those games are some of the hardest fucking games ever. They really really are. They are ridiculously yeah. difficult. You know what's funny, Ryan? I I have said this for years. I'm still shocked by it. I think that there would be a real appetite for a Star Wars, like an actual remake of the original. I don't know why this has never been done. I don't know if George Lucas is just outright refusing to let it happen. There would be such an enormous appetite, and I think this has been proven through the years with all the games that have come out, including The Force Unleashed and now Jedi Fallen Order. I think there would be a huge appetite for a big fucking sweeping epic game series that allows you to be Luke and Leia and and all the others in the original trilogy and would mostly just follow the the film film series and allow you to kind of live the events through. But as with most great Star Wars games, there would be some alternate histories that you could unlock by the choices that you make, which is why people love the Jedi Knight games so much, because those games always force you and the old uh, or the KOTOR games, those games force you to make choices and your choices obviously impact the outcome. So I, I've always been surprised that they've never done. I know they did the Lego Star Wars games, but I'm very surprised they haven't gone beyond that because I really think there'd be a huge appetite um, for a game like that. And Battlefront, I think, proved that a little bit, too, in the sequel uh, of the remade Battlefront games, um, where you can be Luke. There's a, there's, a, there's a level where you're Luke Skywalker in the campaign mode, and it's oh, yeah. awesome. Oh, yeah, and, and there's there's levels where you're playing as Lando, and you're using these cool smoke bombs and shit, and he's got his, his gun that, that just shows infrared. It's pretty sweet. But you know what else is funny? And this is a little bit off off of that. It's, it's like, okay, LucasArts, right? created all those old games and did all that stuff. LucasArts, uh, I, I need to rep this game because it was a big part of my childhood because I didn't, I mean, I didn't own a uh, Super Nintendo, but both of my, my neighbors, two of my, two of my best friends did at the time. And, and um, there's a game that came out, like most of the, okay, so most of the games that LucasArts did were Star Wars related. They had a few Indiana Jones and they had a, you know, random assortment of, of, odds and ends and stuff that no, no never made much of a I I'm pretty sure most of it never really made much of a uh, an impact. I might be wrong, but there's a great game came out for Genesis, Super NES. Um it's called Zombies Ate My Neighbors and my friends and I played it a lot. It's a run and gun game um where it it's sort of like a 1950s horror movie kind of deal. And even the logo has that thing. Like, you're these kids, and, like, the main kid uh, has, like, these 3D glasses, and they use water guns, and they find all these other kind of weapons and stuff. you got to rescue your neighbors and the cheerleaders, and you got to go to the... you got to rescue these babies. you got to go into people's houses, find keys to get into other places to rescue other things and, get, and kill all these zombies that keep coming out of the ground. And it's a really fun game developed by LucasArts. It's this random throwback to 1950s B... Like 1960s zombie movies and 1950s uh, horror movies, and it's it's just really fucking cool. So I wanted to get off on a tangent about zombies ate my neighbors. I know it's not on anywhere like on it might be on Steam. Who fuck knows? But um, I know I have like a like an emulator of it, and it's 
it's solid as shit. So I guess, I mean, at this point, I don't know that I have anything else to say about the video games. I mean, I have a wish list, of course, of things that I would love. I just told you a little bit about that. I would still love a fucking a KOTOR, uh, an actual KOTOR sequel. Or, honestly, I would be fine with, uh, and, and I still, I know there were rumors about this happening, um, and I'm still hesitant because... I'm, I'm very bitter about the way Game of Thrones ended, but if, if Benioff and Weiss, the showrunners from Game of Thrones, if the rumor is true that uh, they're planning on doing a Knights of the Old Republic series, a film series, I think that's a great way to go. I think they'll probably fuck it up once they get bored because that's I don't what... think... Uh, I thought they were done with it. I thought they weren't going to do it now. I'm not sure what the latest is on that project. Oh, because remember, remember, after the rise of Skywalker, or maybe it was after Last Jedi, but I mean, essentially... Disney pushed the pause button, and even Bob Iger admitted that they may have oversaturated the Star Wars market, right. which is true because we were robbed of James Mangold directing a fucking... St- I mean, James Mangold, uh, his original uh, concept, I think, behind a, 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 like a Boba Fett film or a Bounty Hunter film, probably a lot of that is what directly inspired Jon Favreau's The Mandalorian. So. Yeah. I mean, and we were robbed of that because anyone who listens to this program knows what how how Ryan and I feel about James Mangold. He's the yeah. fucking man. I love that guy, um, and, and and you know that was actually supposed to be Josh Trank, and then he lost that to James Mangold, and then yeah, I think a lot of it ended up turning into that, and then also uh, uh, Ryan Johnson apparently still has his deal for a trilogy, and the rumor that I heard about his trilogy is that it's supposed to take place about five hundred years BBY. And that's pretty fucking cool. I think. I think if they can go back, maybe Yoda's a young instructor. If they, if they even show him, they don't need. To. I don't even want. Fuck that. I don't need Yoda. I, I I need to get away from these characters entirely. Seriously, Star Wars can be more than what Star Wars currently is. It doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be this. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Um, and then Taika Waititi has a deal. He's going to do a, a a standalone Star Wars movie, but nobody knows what it's going to be about. And everything's with everything on pause right now. It's you know, who knows? Yeah, everything, remember, everything was on pause even before COVID hit. Yeah, pretty much. They, they basically just said, we, we need to reevaluate the direction we're going, which is probably why the, the, the trolls, that's probably why the trolls who exist got to the point where they were able to start saying things like, oh, Disney wants to decanonize the, the sequel trilogy, which is obviously not, it's no. not going to happen. And I think that's a good segue for us to talk about the sequel trilogy on a more holistic scale and what we would fix. And I, 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 I have dominated a lot of this conversation as I I essentially just wax poetic about Star Wars video games. So why don't I cede the floor to you for a bit? Well, okay, so I don't think The Force Awakens needs fixed in any way. And I always thought it was really stupid when people said, well, the rumor was that when Ray was holding the lightsaber out to Luke, they cut the scene and he was supposed to say... Uh, my baby girl, and it's like, what? No, like, what? That's. Then you'd have to explain that Luke Skywalker. I mean, it's. I don't know. Maybe that's more feasible. Saying, "Oh, Luke Skywalker fucked," but now we know, uh, <laughs> Palpatine fucked. So, or, or another thing was that Palpatine didn't fuck, but Palpatine made a a, a clone of himself as a younger person for him to raise, and then that's that person though was not evil, and then you know had Ray and whatever the fuck. Anyway, but I don't think that 
Force Awakens is really fuckwithable as far as all that goes. I really wouldn't mess with it. I think it's fine. I have some recommendations for The Force Awakens. They're not big. So The Force Awakens, first of all, is just wildly as... I'm actually going to quote you here. This is literally what you said only a couple of weeks after we watched it, was that the film was the complete opposite of the prequels in that while the prequels were dramatically over-explained, The Force Awakens was dramatically under-explained. And I, I am bothered by any film or any any franchise or any product that is created specifically for a film medium that uses its supporting material to try and fill in any gaps. And right. I'm not okay with that. Star Wars did not do that for the prequel trilogy, mostly. I'll, I, I do. There are some issues there. But it, it obviously didn't do it for the, the original trilogy because none of that stuff existed. You don't need any of it for the original trilogy to understand the story. Right. I am bothered by how underexplained it is. They destroyed the Hosnian system using Starkiller Base, which, for the record, Starkiller Base drives me insane because I don't give a shit if the New Republic uh, demilitarized or not. Because I know they do. That's the storyline, even though that's never explained. Never explained. Okay, and again, I'm probably spoiling Mandalorian for you, but then there's literally Republic ships. There's Republic X-Wings in it at one point. So I don't, like, briefly, but they're there. And I'm just like, when were they demilitarized? Right, so they they don't really explain when they're demilitarized, but they are demilitarized at some point, but that's never explained to us. So now we have this weird splinter faction called the Resistance, which was really just a weird way to copy off of A New Hope. And again, so this is where I just think they started from the wrong point with uh, with this trilogy. They They, again, and I like The Force Awakens as a film. I think it's really good. But I, I think it's pretty odd that they decided they were going to kill off Han Solo without having a final scene between Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. That is a real missed opportunity. I'm not the first person to observe this, but like, wouldn't it make more sense to start from a point of the New Republic is actually at peace and now there's a new threat to that peace? Instead, the New Republic is essentially given no agency, is wiped out by a super weapon that we know nothing about, and the more we think about this super weapon, how the fuck did they build this thing and the New Republic had no idea what it did? They, they, they literally, so what, you're telling me not only did they have no military, but they had no intelligence service as well? That's a pretty fucking massive, that is a genocidal fuck up. You're thinking it's a, it's a, it's a galaxy of well, hundreds of thousands of planets. Uh, thousands and thousands of advanced civilizations, and you're going to say that there that none of them. Okay, let's demilitarize this entire government. All right, none of them are going to break off and keep keep their own thing. Like why why not just make it a confederacy then? That's it. Just seems so stupid. So yeah, I, I but I'm trying not to think that far into it. Like I'm just trying to fix these movies because like, dude, I, I, it's going to blow my mind trying to think of what if this happened in this movie. But like, I I really think that would have made these movies play a little bit better. I mean, again, there were aspects that they could have borrowed from the expanded universe that would have easily allowed them to start from a, a, a point that was a little bit stronger. And don't get me wrong, I actually think, like, for what they chose to do, I think the decisions they made, The Force Awakens is mostly pretty good and plays really well, and right. as I said earlier, strikes all the right tones... But there are some really big missed opportunities here, and some of those missed opportunities are just a result of really weird logical uh, mistakes. And the criticism I always hear about J.J. Abrams from 
people who are diehard Trekkie fans and 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 other uh, properties that that JJ has touched is that the guy always has a great entrance strategy and never has a fucking exit strategy, and it does really seem this way that he's cool with setting the table and has no interest in clearing the table. Right, I don't blame him. He didn't even want to do the last one if he didn't have to. It's uh, right, uh, yeah, because Colin Trevorrow was going to do it, and Ryan Johnson said no, which blows my mind. I feel like if Ryan Johnson had the opportunity to finish what he started, it would have been a lot better. But whatever. But he didn't want to do it, and I'm sure they they did come to him to ask him to do it. And he said no. But I have a feeling it's because it was after the Last Jedi, and he they didn't want to use they wanted to probably write shit for him, and he was probably like no, well I'm not going to do it if I can't write it, and that's fair enough. But as far as the movie itself, say the movie's standing right now, what would I fix about The Force Awakens? I really wouldn't fix really anything. I think I think as it is right now, I think it's fine. I guess there's nothing there's nothing else that I could really do to or anybody I think could really do aside from what you said, going back and completely changing the 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 back like the background of it and everything. I think I think they did miss an opportunity to have all three of the people back together, but who'd have, who'd, who would have thought that Carrie Fisher would die, you know? But obviously that wasn't the plan if they killed off Han Solo in, in The Force Awakens. Obviously that wasn't the plan. And isn't that weird for, for a, a series that was so reliant on nostalgia that they literally didn't do the most nostalgic thing they could do, which yeah. was put the three of them on the fucking Millennium Falcon for one scene? I'm asking for one scene. Yep. There are a lot of things that you could have done to get the characters to the points that you wanted them to get to, and I guess one thing I'll say here is if you wanted Luke to get to this point where he's in hiding or he's searching for something or, or whatever, you could still explain that story in The Force Awakens and and sort of have it be the the breaking down or the tearing down of Luke Skywalker. And the thing is, because the, the film, the, this trilogy is so disparately put together, I really don't know, and you might actually have the answer to this, Mr. Reddit, <laughs> but I don't really know if the plan, Ryan Johnson's plan in in Last Jedi, the more I think about it, it doesn't seem like that was the plan that J.J. had laid out. I think J.J. No. was thinking, like, Luke is off searching for some secret weapon that's going to help him fight the First Order, when in reality, like, Ryan Johnson's take was probably way more accurate. Yeah, well, the thing is, is okay, so what, the, the things that I read about it is that, is basically, like, Han went to find the original Jedi. Te- I'm sorry. Han said that Luke went to find the original Jedi Temple, and he did, but he didn't want to. Like, I like, I like what they did. But what I read that JJ said, they said, "Well, what were your plan? What are your plans for the second one?" And he's like, "I don't have any. That's up to Ryan now," and that's it. And I think that's. I I just. I'm like, that, are you, like seriously, you don't have any idea. He had to know, and then they backtracked and said they did know. And you know, there's no behind, like, there's no detailed leak to the public behind the scenes thing of what they were everybody was really thinking like like everything seems so carefully placed it seems like dude it, it really seems like soviet russia when it comes to the information that disney lets out about this because they don't want to upset the fan base but everything they do they fucking upset the fan base like everything they do they keep information from us and they tell us what we think and they they're trying to tell us how to feel and it's like we we're fans of this and we want it like they don't want us to know the actual drama that went on behind the scenes. And I feel like there's a lot. 
I feel like there's a lot of shit and, and, or at the very least, Disney is such, like everybody there is such a control freak about, I get it. Spoilers are one thing, but being a control freak about, about everything after the fact, like you don't want what your fucking reputation is going to be ruined. If we find out that, Oh, uh, the obvious that Kathleen Kennedy didn't like improvisa- improvisation, so they re- they 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 didn't like the the comedic and lighthearted tone that Solo was having. Because face it, Solo was totally unnecessary, and nobody was fucking begging for that movie to be made. I'll give you that. Came as fast as I could, buddy. Dried and dead. So, what do Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who I respect all that, I respect them to death, because they've made some of the some of the funniest and most fun movies I've, I've seen in a, in a long time. So those two decide, no, you know what? They hired us to do what we do. We made the fucking Lego Movie. We made uh, uh, what are they? They made um, Twenty One and Twenty Two Jump Street. You know those dudes are great. They made the they made the Last Man on Earth, which the first season of that show is fantastic, and you know they knew what they were getting themselves into, and they're like, all right, well we're just gonna fucking make this a comedy. Why not? It's Han Solo. It's fine. Nobody really wants this except Disney for some weird reason, and then they get let go, and apparently everybody feels all liberated about it. Like interviews with like some of the ca- some of the crew were saying like, "Oh man, we're so glad they're gone because they weren't taking this seriously and they made us do like a million different takes and they were just throwing the script out." And the big thing is is that I think it's part Lawrence Kasdan who ha- Lawrence Kasdan who has he wrote Empire, he wrote Force Awakens, he wrote part of the Jet part of Jedi. He's in, a, in, a, in a, an extremely he wrote fucking Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like the guy is super fucking accomplished. Also, he, also, where is Lawrence Kasdan from, Ryan? He graduated high school in good old Morgantown, West Virginia. Yes, sir. Hell yes. Anywho, uh, so no, so but Lawrence Kasdan has that kind of pull in Hollywood too. And if he's all mad that they're fucking with his script, I could see him pitching a bitch fit to Kathleen Kennedy. She goes out, fires those guys. And then maybe there, I'm just saying, this is kind of a conspiracy, but like saying there's like a smear campaign against them and be like, no, we got Ron Howard and this is the best way to go about it. And this is, this is whatever. Somewhere down the line, the buck is stopping somewhere because that movie, despite being the seventh highest grossing movie of 2018, despite being the seventh highest grossing fucking movie that year in America, at least it lost money. Because they had to reshoot 80% of it, and they had to hire another director, and they hired an A-list director, Ron Howard. And honestly, that's the best Ron Howard movie in a long... Well, it's one of the better Ron Howard movies of the last 10 years, 20 years, I guess. Yeah, I, that might be his best since Frost Nixon. Well, yeah, tro- probably. I love Frost Nixon. I never saw Rush, though, and I heard Rush is very good, so... I'm not sure, but that's the racing movie you did with uh, Daniel Brühl and Chris Hemsworth. I like Ron Howard a lot. When they said they hired Ron Howard, I think that's like the, that's one of the safest choices you can get, and I think it's really cool that he did it. Yeah, it wasn't. It was not very imaginative. That I that I mean, it really wasn't. Right. So I think that there's there they just keep a lot from us, and it it does annoy me to a bit. You bringing up a really interesting point here, Ryan. That so. 
yeah, they, they keep a lot from us. But, like, so this is the literal studio that just brought us, again, so nothing, literally nothing has had the type of impact on the cultural zeitgeist like the Marvel Cinematic Universe has had since Star Wars, mm-hmm. the original Star Wars. Right. They just successfully pulled this off. The blueprint for how to do this is there. So I ask you, they could have done one of two things. They could have either said, all right, listen, we're going to eschew the normal trilogy standard that we've developed, that Star Wars has developed over the years. We, you know, the trilogies are great, but, you know, it's really restrictive and there's no, you know, the only reason trilogies ever existed, it was a more traditional way of storytelling, but also, you know, this is a, a different period of time where you couldn't count on Hollywood being to fund being willing to fund franchises in the same way, so we had to sort of limit our ideas to a trilogy. Well, okay, so if if you're so desperate for nostalgia that you're going to limit yourself to going with this three-act structure, then why not at least borrow the Marvel, Kevin Feige, central planning role that's literally right there in front of you? There's no reason to stray from it. They, the, the outside of a handful of things, Marvel... The MCU was meticulously planned out once they realized how big the thing was getting. It was once they realized what their end game was going to be, it was meticulously planned out yeah. to get them there. And the thing is, it could have failed in so many different ways. And arguably, they wind up st- overall sticking the landing. And a lot of the films post phase two are really, really good. Mm-hmm. So I, I wonder... How is it possible that the same studio that brought us the Marvel Cinematic Universe can't figure out Star Wars? And it's really simple. It's because unlike the MCU, where they were forced to get creative, uh, where they were forced to say, all right, we don't have our A-listers are gone. The bench is fucking barren because of years of mistakes by the original Marvel Studios. We don't own the X-Men. We don't own Spider-Man. We don't own the Fantastic Four. We don't own any of the heavy hitters in our universe, so we have to assemble something from fucking Iron Man and Captain America and Thor and the Hulk. The Hulk arguably being the biggest one of them all, and no pun intended. But then with Star Wars, obviously there's no such issue in front of them, so they're like, well, let's just follow the old formula, even though the old formula in many ways got Star Wars into trouble. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm wondering, like, how did Disney not, see that they had they had all the answers they all had all the answers in front of them they could have stuck with the trilogy model and still pulled this off successfully but without a single hint of central planning and and, and i i don't know who to believe at this point because as you accurately pointed out we've been told both stories that there was central planning and that there wasn't central planning yep and you know what i think this is and this is the, f- the most ironic thing i think i could probably say they probably should have taken george lucas's stories and at least taken part of it, whatever he had that was an overarching story, because he had it. He had a trilogy sort of story set up. They probably should have taken him more seriously, because they literally said, "Oh, we're going to use some of your stories," and then they didn't do shit. They just they reneged on it, and they and that's part of that messy divorce you were talking about in the last episode. It was like that's yeah, he walked out with four and a half billion dollars. Cool, but it's his baby that he made, you know. So. He had his ideas. They said they were going to use them, and they didn't. 
Yeah, they, they they didn't just say they they just they literally rejected like as you said it was like it was more of a rejection they were literally like oh all these ideas are terrible and, and you know the funny thing about that too is like yeah okay and, and we've said this before yeah you can say what you want about the prequels but yes there is an overarching story that that one thing leads into another leads to another and it all makes sense the entire trilogy ends up making sense even if the little bits of it don't yeah the, it's actually the inverse of the sequel trilogy where. Yeah. The trilogy, look, the, the prequel trilogy is terrible. The films are bad. There's no getting around it. No. As a isn't. holistic product, it gets from A to B. Yes, it does. And it makes general sense. So that's the thing. They needed a overarching story set in stone before they made this. And I feel like if they had taken their time instead of forcing this shit in, I, I love the ideas that they, they came up with, but it, I just wish it meshed better and there's and there's a couple little fixes that i have that would fix this entire trilogy and it really wouldn't they don't have anything to do with the force awakens more so than than the last jedi and there's one little hint in the last jedi and this is really just serendipity it's only because it's when snoke has ray in his grasp with the force and she's up there and he's like give me everything you know you hear the Emperor's theme. You hear his music. Dun, 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 dun. You hear that. And that's where it's like, when I, when I heard that, when I first saw The Last Jedi, I thought, I'm like, okay, well, he's got something to do with the Emperor. Now, you will give me Skywalker. Then I will kill you with the cruelest stroke. No. Yes. Give me everything. He, I always thought he was Pal- Palpatine forced his spirit into a body and the body was rejecting the spirit and they were going to explain that somehow. And then after Palpatine was was killed, his spirit went somewhere else. He just has such a powerful Sith spirit. And I wish they would have said that. Or at the very least, hinted at Palpatine still being alive at the end of Last Jedi. Like the the Last Jedi has its little quirks. I don't and like you were I don't have a fucking problem with Canto Bite. I honestly don't. I know they were sent on a wild goose chase and they but fuck, they were trying. And I know Holdo probably could have said something like, "Hey, we're actually going to go to this planet called Crate. It's like right down that way." But at the point, she was trying to she was trying to teach Poe a lesson, and I get that, and everything was kind uh, in of in a very in a very McClunky way, a roundabout weird way. She was trying to teach Poe a lesson, and I understood that. Also, you know, you could probably just reprogram a droid to Kamikaze into a fucking another ship, and I get you know. Some people are like, well, why didn't they, why don't ships kamikaze into ships? And it's like, no, they don't kamikaze into other ships because, like, in the real world, that shit is expensive as fuck. (laughs) Well, you don't just come across a fucking star cruiser. Those are are armadas that are built by thousands and millions of people. No, you're not going to take your fucking flagship and ram it into another ship just to do it. You take a little, little hammerhead corvette. Like what, like the Radis did, and actually that's what that ship's name was, was the Radis, which is awesome. Um, after the Rogue One, uh, 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 Mon Calamari. Anyway, but I, I get it. There's a sacrifice needed to be made, and bloody blue blue, you know. And I think the other, 
I, the, I think the whole plan obviously was going to crate, but they just didn't say it. But I understand now, and it's fine. That's my only real nitpick. But at the end, yes, if they would have said something like, if if there would have been some type of hint somewhere in the end about Palpatine, that would have made mo- a lot more sense instead of ham fisting the yeah. fuck out of it. There and, needed to be something, and that's embarrassingly and, bad. Yeah, when we're talking about the acting abilities of, of the actors in, in the other trilogy, in, in the prequel trilogy, we, we neglected to talk about Ian McDiarmid and how fucking great he is. And every every performance he's put forth, any of them, even as even as uh, the chant, even as uh, Senator Palpatine. <laughs> oh, he's fucking great. Man. He's great. A surprise. Is the best fucking thing in the goddamn series. But a welcome one. He's, he is. I feel like he does give the best performance throughout the entire thing. That's because he is. And this is no disrespect to Ian McGregor, because that guy's a fucking badass. But Ian McDiarmid was. He's a Shakespearean actor, classically trained, and blah blah blah. The guy, the guy is fucking good, and when he finally turns into Sidious after Mace Windu is, after that whole thing, you know, I fucking love him in that. Yeah, did you notice, by the way, did you notice that, like, so the difference, like, so is Christopher Lee, he's a Shakespearean actor. Yes. The difference is that Ian McDiarmid had a fucking 25-year history with, with, with Palpatine. Yes. He had a 25-year history with this character. Yeah, he, he knew he knew what to do. And so that's why, because, like, fucking Christopher Lee is is amazing. He's amazing. He's horrible in Star Wars. Christopher Lee, he makes a bad movie good normally anyway. He was Scaramanga, the man with the golden gun. That ain't a good Bond movie, but he's a great villain. So, you know. So he, here are the two big issues I see with Last Jedi. And again, it's my favorite movie of the sequel trilogy. I, I would generally say I love the movie. It's the most, in my opinion, it's the most rewatchable despite being the longest one. Yeah. I think it has the most, I think it has the, the biggest rewatchability factor because I can get something new out of it every time. Oh, yeah, and it's intense as fuck, too. The beginning of it is intense. I think, again, this is where central planning really fucked up, the lack of central planning. So I I feel like the central core of what was supposed to make this trilogy work is Luke's Luke, it, it, Luke's fall is not a fall to the dark side. Luke doesn't fall to the dark side, which has always been an overly simplistic way of being like, well, I'm a fucking asshole. Because it always bothered me how in Revenge of the Sith, Anakin goes from being like super good Jedi guy in a matter of minutes to like, I'm going to be a genocidal murderer of children. Like, yep. that is not done well enough. Like, his character, yes, they had shown him murdering fucking sand people on Tatooine, but even still... It bothers me how quickly, because he really worked hard to repress that memory, it bothers me how quickly, rather than doing it out of revenge, he just decides he's going to murder those Jedi children. But the thing for Luke is, so Luke doesn't fall to the dark side, Luke basically makes one bad decision, but Luke bases it off of the information he thinks he has. So the problem mm-hmm. is, is that Luke is portrayed as essentially an accused chi- or an, a, an attempted child murderer, which to everyone looks terrible. And this is where I give the people who gripe against the Last Jedi a lot of I will give them credit here that Luke would never fucking do that. Well, the thing is, this is a, a film; it's a visual medium. Why didn't they include some sort of vision when Luke says he looked into to Kylo's heart or to to Ben's heart and already saw it twisted? Yeah, well, you hear the screams, you hear the noise that's in his head. It's not super well done that it's incredibly noticeable. Why not give us a vision 
Why not have a vision in Luke's head of what he thinks Ben is capable of doing? And then it's it's not even it's not even like you see he's like Snoke already turned his heart, but then maybe there's a vision of Palpatine in there yeah, too. Yeah, and and again, this is where I argue: what if again in a callback to Empire Strikes Back? What if this is where Palpatine is manipulating events? In that Palpatine is putting visions into Luke's head, and in Empire, Luke, we've seen, is susceptible to falling for things that could happen in the future and thus falling into somebody's trap. Yeah, that's exactly it. What if that had been the way that they had gone with this, where it's Palpatine implanting these seeds of doubt in Luke's head using the Force, since we've now established that the Force can Uh pretty much be whatever it wants to be. It's just this magic fucking power, essentially. Why couldn't that be at least for for Palpatine why couldn't that be something that he did um, that really bugged me because I think that that would have been a very easy way to make Luke's motivation look far more uh, not just lo- look far more realistic and, and be far more explainable but it also would have made more sense in the context of what we already know about the character so that's one thing that I would have changed about uh, The Last Jedi for sure is adding a visual aspect to that and also including uh, Palpatine in that way and the other thing that, that I would probably have changed about The Last Jedi is I don't think Luke should have actually died in The Last Jedi. I, I do think that it works. It's not that it doesn't work. I thought it was appropriate, but yeah, I can see. I thought that it would have been a more powerful, much more powerful message if Luke instead is sacrificed. Well, okay, maybe I might backtrack a little bit on this because, you know, maybe if we want to, you know, we, we always get so annoyed about how films are no longer self-contained with their stories anymore. Maybe, I mean, I already agree that it was appropriate. I just wonder if there's more that Luke could have offered in the third film, but I would argue that I think Ryan Johnson's ending is logical because what Luke does is he reminds the galaxy that there's a reason for hope. And my biggest criticism of The Rise of Skywalker's opening minutes is the fact that The Rise of Skywalker basically ignores the brilliant resolution of The Last Jedi and instead is like, well, like, a couple hundred people have joined the Resistance instead of, like, millions and millions coming to their call. The only other thing I'm going to add is because I referenced it in part one. I just want to say that I think the people who complain about Canto Bite are full of shit. Canto Bite is not that bad. It's a little bit... It isn't. The dialogue is a little poorly written, and, like, it's... The bigger issue is its overall placement in the film. But honestly, like, if you think Canto Bite looks weird and doesn't look Star Wars-y, you haven't been watching Star Wars. Right. Like, it very clearly is Star Wars-y. Like, there's not much at this point that really can't be Star Wars-y. Oh, no, no, no. The big, and I think the big thing, and this is where we get into that conservative bit, like the the Trump people, I understand when people are saying like the SJW thing. That, well, Rose is just a social justice warrior, snowflake liberal. Okay, well, fuck you. I get what you're saying, and I kind of agree with her because you know they're saying like there's only one business in the galaxy that gets you this rich, and it's war, and they and weapons and all that shit. So yeah, I love it, <laughs> but I mean that that's fine. That's what it is. And she has, she grew up, you know, obviously poor. They they would take the, they would steal the ore from, from her planet and use it to, to build their ships and shit. And it's like, yeah, yeah. The, the, so, of course, she has a lot of vitriol toward these, toward these people. And, you know, Finn doesn't. Finn just walks into that, into that casino just like, oh, this place is fucking awesome. 
because he's just he's a soldier. What the fuck else is he gonna do? It's like this is well, no, because I, I I totally agree with you. I do think that I like she's right. The whole scene, just like it, yes, it is not the best filmed scene, and it doesn't work super well in the context of the film, but. There's a lot of truth in it. Uh-huh. Hell fucking yeah, there is. It is very Star Wars-y it, in a lot of ways. It's just a little more nuanced in terms of what it's actually saying. So the other thing you just reminded me of with Finn is, is so Finn is actually a character that I, I, I like more and more as the series goes on, which it bothers me because Last Jedi was such a was such a missed opportunity. In fact, Finn was the biggest missed opportunity in Last Jedi. Oh, in the trilogy. Yeah, for several reasons. Opinion. Number one is that they basically rehash his entire storyline from The Force Awakens, so, like, there's no progress. But then when they do attempt to make progress, I'm really bothered by the fact that Rose tries to save the, – the scene where Rose tries to save his life is fucking ridiculous. It's He should have but, – but his sacrifice, I can understand when people say wasn't necessarily earned. Well, it's because we don't – still don't know as much about him as we'd like to. Right, so this is where – this is where, again – Back to the central planning point of all of this. This is where I I have there's no other culprit to blame other than Disney itself for just not taking some time to think this through. So I've already talked about and we've talked about sort of the the you know <laughs> where's the fucking uh, intelligence on Starkiller Base? What about this demilitarization demilitarization shit? Okay. In The Force Awakens, a really interesting concept is introduced and literally ignored f- until the rise of Skywalker, but it's ham-fisted into the rise of Skywalker. And it's the fact that the First Order is built on the backs of abducted children across the galaxy, which yep. is a really fascinating concept, except that the series as a whole, from the first film to the last film, never explores the psychological impact of what that does to Finn. It never explores the psychological impact of what that does to the galaxy at large. No one attempts to solve where these children are, what they have become, where they are going, why they are going where they're going. Literally, if the if the First Order is is kidnapping millions, literally millions of children, including prominent members of the New Republic, Mm-hmm. If they're abducting those children, why on earth is that not a major piece of The Last Jedi? Finn- yeah, and you're saying prominent members of the New Republic. You're talking about Lando. Yeah, yes. As that was that was revealed, that was eventually revealed, but they could have actually, they could have worked that into the film easily. The thing that bu- bugs me is why not take that aspect of it? That's where I think in, in both Disney and Ryan Johnson should take some blame there. They should have included an arc for Finn where his job is to solve that problem because it directly impacts his entire life, his entire existence, his entire being is because when he was a kid, he was fucking abducted. That's that to me is an interesting concept that easily could have been explored in these films of, okay, we've introduced, we've set up the fact that the Empire is literally abducting children and training them how to fight, training them how to fight and brainwashing them and and trying to turn them into soldiers who will do anything for a cause that they have no choice but to believe in because they've never been really given any other choice. 
that is essentially slavery. Every single stormtrooper, the difference between the stormtroopers in the original trilogy and the stormtroopers in the sequel trilogy, outside of maybe like Captain Phasma, and we don't even know this because her backstory is not elaborated on at all, they're all slaves. So every time that they're killed, you're killing slaves. They're is a story to tell about the liberation of this group. And again, of all the things about Rise of Skywalker that are wrong, one of the few things that does kind of work, not entirely, but does kind of work, is the group, the garrison of Imperial Stormtroopers who basically defect because they throw down their weapons. And I have a theory about that, not one that I I have no idea if this meshes with their current expanded universe or not. But So I'm bothered by that because that to me is a massive missed opportunity. You wouldn't have needed all those weird B and C plots in The Last Jedi if if your A plot is Rey's training, your B plot is the Republic trying to escape and survive, and then the C plot, arguably more like a second A plot, but then the C plot is Finn investigating and trying to stop the Imperials from feeding, their, the First Order from feeding their war machine. That would have been a much better use of, of everyone's time. Yeah. Oh my God. That's that definitely. God bless. You have thought about this shit way more than me. So uh, I read this bit and I, you said you called me Mr. Reddit. I get a lot of my information there because God damn it, it's, it's the front page of the internet. So I, I subscribe to a bunch of shit. Um, the best one for Star Wars, though, Star Wars leaks is pretty good. Um, the regular Star One, Star Wars one is, is you know, you can't really shit on anything, but you can't really, I don't know, that's weird. But then there's Star Wars Circle Jerk, which is uh, shitting all over it. And then uh, Star Wars Cantina, which is um, uh, really nice. It's all about everybody just appreciating the fact that we love Star Wars, regardless of its faults, and hey, I really thought this, you know, really, it was really nice seeing Luke, even if he was about to pass away, but, but he saw the second son in Last Jedi, whatever. Anywho, but then there's a, there's a subreddit called r slash fixing movies. So they fix, you know, just little bits. Some people have elaborate whatever, and other people have, you know, short little blurbs. This person says, fixing just one scene in The Rise of Skywalker. This, this user is you uh, slash Elijah Cook official. I don't know who the do you know who Elijah Cook is? I don't fucking know. I do not. I do not. Okay. I, I, maybe they just thought it was funny to call themselves something official. This this is from Elijah Cook official fishing, uh, 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 on fixing movies, the subreddit. This may seem like a small change at first, but I honestly think this could have made the whole movie a lot better. Here it is. So after being stabbed and subsequently healed by Ray, Ben Solo throws his lightsaber across the across the piece of the second Death Star that he stands on. But this time, the blade stops midair, and a spirit forms around it, the Force Ghost of Anakin Skywalker. Ben demands to know who Anakin is, and he replies that he's Ben's grandfather. Ben scoffs, remarking that Anakin looks nothing like Darth Vader, which is funny. I guess he just thought Darth Vader always wore a mask. Whatever. Anyway, Anakin responds by saying that he isn't. That's because he isn't. He tells Ben what truly happened, and how he turned back to the light, destroying Darth Sidious, balancing the Force for the time being. However, he also tells Ben that Sidious ultimately survived by projecting his spirit far away into an unfinished clone body on Kamino. This reveals how Palpatine survived, and how and that he discovered Exegol after his death rather than before it. Anakin then explains to Ben that the Chosen One prophecy was never about just one person. It involved Luke, and now Ben is part of that prophecy too. He can finish what Anakin started and destroy the Emperor once and for all. 
Then he fades away. Ben walks over to his lightsaber, picks it up, opening it, taking the taking out the unsta- unstable kyber crystal. The crystal changes in his hands, turns from a crackling red to a pure white. He then puts the crystal back in his saber and ignites it. The blade is no longer unstable, signifying the balance that Ben has finally found. And I think that is... I mean, that if that's all you change, if we can bend space-time and change that, that's fine. Because that explains all kinds of shit perfectly. I, I like I it a lot. Really I like that. I thought it was a great. I thought it was great, and I'm like, man, it's not original, but for us. But I wanted to include include that on our Star Wars episode, and I think that would be really cool. But that's you know, man. At the end of the day, I still have fun watching, and I can still watch little pieces of those of of the sequels. Like you know, the, the as far as the sequel trilogy, my favorite moments in it, you know, the, like the 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 Jakku chase, the the Millennium Falcon with the Tie Fighters going through the. The Star Destroyer and all that shit. I thought that was fucking great. The lightsaber battles, uh, especially in The Force Awakens. And, um, I mean, you really can't call it a lightsaber battle because they weren't really battling lightsaber lightsabers. They were fighting with them but not against them in The Last Jedi. But that fight scene is just unbelievable. It's one of the best. And um, and then, you know, the one at the... In, in, the one in... Um, the rise of Skywalker. It's really just, she didn't want to kill him and he didn't want to kill her. I I actually think, I think Ben was done dirty. And again, coming back to central planning, I think I'm sorry. I think Adam driver's the best goddamn thing in the sequel trilogy. And absolutely. And that in all honesty, if there had been any semblance of central planning that he would have been, his story would have been more centrally featured and they, they, they're so close. To, they're, they're really so close. Either they needed to centrally feature him or they needed to give some of his storyline to Ray. because I'm starting to feel like it's just there's not enough there for both of them. I, I, I don't know because Ray is so f- heavily featured in, in The Force Awakens and then she kind of gets progressively worse, which in fairness is exactly what happens to Leia in the original trilogy is that George Lucas creates this great, heroine in in the original Star Wars and then gives her less and less to do as the series goes on. So it's not like it's unheard of in Star Wars before. This sequel trilogy borrows some things from the expanded universe that I've made so much reference to. And look, the expanded universe, the, the what is now considered Legends, is not perfect. It's got a lot of fucking flaws. My issue is some of the best things that they theoretically could have borrowed, they didn't. And instead, they borrowed very loose, un- nondescript outlines. Ben Solo is very clearly a parable for Jason Solo. And Jason Solo, who is one of my least favorite characters in the, in the books, is somehow made worse in The Force Awakens before eventually becoming much, much better as the series goes on. I, I, so I, I just feel like when Disney made the call that they were going to throw away everything in the Expanded Universe... First, what they did was they sent a message to their filmmakers that essentially said, don't rely on this too heavily. But second, they also killed some of the best characters that they could have theoretically used. They had a gold mine that they could have built off of. Kyle Katarin, who essentially becomes Diego Luna's character in Rogue One, is dead. Whereas I would be totally down with watching Diego Luna be Kyle Katarin. Well, he's gonna come back in a in a show. Just yeah, and instead, instead he's he's but he's dead, and it's gonna be a prequel. I mean, he's dead. 
I mean, he died in Rogue One. And so this is this is just my point. That So now you've got some of the best characters. You've got Dash Rendar, Kyle Katarin, Cor- and I don't even know Dash Rendar as well as I know Kyle Katarin and Coran Horn, and some of the best characters from the New Jedi Order series, Anakin Solo, who is the younger brother of Jason and Jaina Solo. These characters are all gone and destroyed. Jagged Fell and Grand Admiral Thrawn, who they brought back a shittier version of him, because he was so popular in the expanded universe, but the thing was, they could, they were able to bring back a version of him because his story was so open ended. There's nothing they can do with Kyle Katarin now. He was his entire, the entire point of Kyle Katarin is he's that one of the Jedi who helps build the new Jedi Order for Luke Skywalker. He helps train this next generation of Jedi. He's part of Luke's first generation, and he helps train the second generation of new Jedi. Well, the thing is, because of the way the story went down in the sequel trilogy, we can't have that. We literally can't have that. So if they ever want to bring Kyle Katarin and Koran Horn and any of those other characters in, the only way they're ever going to be able to do it is they're going to have to shoehorn them into something post-Episode Nine, And that that's it. And to me, that's just going to feel a lot less earned than what they could have done with those characters who were so deserving of big screen recognition at some fucking point. I think that the fact that they mostly ran away from the expanded universe was a mistake, and that to me reeked of Disney saying, fuck it, we just want to do our own thing. It's also they probably had to pay people money for like their... No, they owned it. That's all there was, all their material. One, they, the, that's the, everything in the expanded universe was, was, was approved by George Lucas and was official, officially canon in the universe. And Disney owned all of that. Now, don't get me wrong, I do think that rebooting the book series was a good idea because the the last series did not leave a lot of places to go with the way, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think it was the Legacy of the Force series? I don't, I don't remember. The last, the very last series was outrageously bad. But there's a, there's a second Galactic Civil War that's really, really good, and then there's the New Jedi Order that is, is hit or miss, but mostly pretty good. Those are series series that you could have borrowed from, and they do borrow bits and pieces from the Second Galactic Civil War, but they didn't earn it. They didn't earn any of that stuff from the buildup of the New Jedi Order series. We didn't get to know these characters and love these characters. Mara Jade Skywalker is a character that we never get to know, and she's got a fascinating backstory that dates all the way back to Return of the Jedi and, and the original trilogy. <laughs> Tell your master that Mara Jade wishes to discuss a deal on behalf of the New Republic, one which could be very lucrative for him. And we lost these characters, so I, 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 that does bug me because there were some really popular expanded universe characters who were destroyed by Disney's decision to just say, fuck it all, let's start fresh. And I don't see why, if you can retroactively bring back Grand Admiral Thrawn, I don't see why you couldn't have retroactively brought back some of those other characters. That's all I'm going to say. Philosophically, I think that that was a mistake. You're so well versed in this <laughs> as far as as far as the expanded universe goes. It's pretty great. Remember, this is this is all old information for like like I I literally don't pay attention to the stuff. Like I know that they have all these book series and and uh, I know that there are books surrounding the events of of the campaign of Battlefront 2. I'm not going to read them. I don't have any interest, and and I'm I'm and the comics and the Marvel right. comics of and Star I'm, Wars listen, that are canon. Whoever wants to read them and 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 engage, that's awesome. I hope that you have as much fun with these 
as I did when I was a kid with the ones that I engaged with. But I don't have it in me. I, I just – it goes back to – this is like my third time referencing Patton Oswald because he's such a giant Star Wars nerd, and I love him. But Patton Oswald said it. He just doesn't have the energy to, to, to go into another universe the way he went into Star Wars. And what Disney has been asking us to do is to go – they're essentially asking us to go into a new, uni, new universe with some familiar faces. That's really what they asked us to do, and I, I don't have the energy for it. So, so the final, final thing before we, we part ways tonight in what has been a marathon session, your favorite thing about Star Wars. And, and this could be – as far as I'm – this could be fucking any – this was your idea, so I don't know what you're planning – but to me, there's so many possible answers. This, this this could be fucking anything. Mine's basic. My my favorite thing about Star Wars is so fucking basic, but it's it's just there. It's the music. The music of Star Wars conducted by John Williams. I want to say that he hasn't... There's no, With the exception of Jedi Rocks, which he didn't write, and the exception of the yub-nub shit at the end of the original Jedi, uh, there isn't a bad piece of music in Star Wars. As far as the scores, I mean, even the prequels are fucking awesome. I love um, Episode Two. I don't. I love. I love Attack of the Clones' score. I love uh, the love theme. You know the da 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 da, and then the all the like the theme going into the arena. The ba 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 ba. It's so fucking great. It's intense. It's it's just beautiful sounding. Everybody loves. I mean, everybody loves Duel of the Fates. You, you play that, and everybody fucking knows exactly what it is. The first bar of it, everybody knows. I mean, the and this is this is aside from just the iconic themes that we already know, which you know the opening crawl, the the fanfare, the the Imperial March, um, and then all the little things like like you know Ben teach Ben Ben talking about the Ben Kenobi talking about the Force. The and then I love Cloud City when they're just walking around Cloud City, you know, um, that Lando's Palace is what I think that's what that's called. The little bits of music through Hoth when they're in the Imper- the ice the ice base basically, and you know you hear good bits of it, especially when you're playing Battlefront Two. It's really cool because you know there's a loading screen uh, for like if you're gonna play in Cloud City, there's a loading screen with Bespin on it, and it plays Lando's Palace music, and you're like. Oh. And it's music you don't think about, but you know you've heard. Like if you're, if you know, even a casual Star Wars fan will hear it and be like, "Oh, I know this," you know. And my favorite piece of music, though, inside of any of the Star Wars movies, is the um, the asteroid field in The Empire Strikes Back. It's just epic. That entire scene is fun as fuck. <laughs> you know, the whole you know, sort of the. The possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. I love that shit. Like, even before they're going, they're, they're being chased by the Star Destroyers. I saw him. I saw him. Saw what? Star Destroyers. Two of them had right for and all that. And he's like, well, we can still outmaneuver him. And he just dives his fucking, the, the, the Millennium Falcon down. It's like that kind of excitement. And then going in, it's just... Bum, 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 and the, the, the TIE Fighters... Hitting a, hitting a, um, getting clipped basically by an asteroid and spinning that shot, and you know they had to do that shot physically with in 1980 or 1979 when they were making the movie. Just like they, they, the way they had to shoot these things, um, with the cameras and the models and the and all that stuff, you know it was difficult, and they still made it work. And just that music is is it's just man. If if Star Wars was a giant 
stack of delicious sour sourdough French toast, then the music is that delicious syrup that you put on it. Every single bit, even Ray's theme, and the uh, the the and the First Order's theme. What was it? Um, I can't carry a tune. Bum bum. Bum, bum, that's pretty bum. good. That's like, pretty I, good. I loved it though. I, that like when when Kylo arrives on Jakku and and you hear that theme and it's like God damn, they're really going for it. And like right right when they introduce Rey and she's sledding down that giant sand mountain <laughs> below that star destroyer, you know, and it's just the and you know what else is funny? I've been going through this massive Beastie Boys. Uh, um, deep dive lately, and J.J. Uh, Abrams is a known humongous Beastie Boys fan, like a super fan, right? And um, there's a uh, there's a character, uh, one of the pilot, one of the Resistance pilots, in uh, the the alien guy who isn't nine numb, you know, no damage, Brr! like yeah. he's saying that shit in the in the his X wing with Poe. Uh, that's that guy's name is Elo Asti, a play on Hello Nasty, the nineteen ninety eight yeah, Beastie Boys album yeah. featuring 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 the classic Intergalactic. Um, but also Ray's theme, it, it almost seems like they were kind of interpolating the sample that the Beastie Boys used on a song called Flute Loop, and it because it goes boop bada boop 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 bada boop, and it's great. And then you hear. You know, raised do 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 do, and then goes to ba ba and it's like John Williams is a fucking treasure. That guy is like ninety, and he finally did his last Star Wars movie. That Rise of Skywalker is the last one. Um, six out of the nine Star Wars movies, he was nominated for an Academy Award for each for for best original score, and uh, and he wasn't nominated for any of the prequels, which is a fucking shame because say what you want say what you want but duel of the fates duel of the fates is iconic too and it's 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 just perfect and that's the thing about george lucas i think the only thing he only other person he ever trusted in his movies that he didn't have to give any real input to is john williams he he i'm sure he had his input about where things should go and whatever but like because he's still the director but john williams wrote that shit i mean if you listen to some older music from like the adventures of Robin hood or, uh, was it, who's the guy who wrote the planets? They're the, um, like these, he wrote, he's a classical musician from the early 20th century. And he wrote these pieces called about the planets, one, you know, Jupiter, Venus, Mars, and all that. Um, and some of it sounds very star Warsian. And it's like, you could tell John Williams lifted a good bit of it. Not in, and it's it's an homage, and that's fine. It's not direct copying, but you can really hear some of it, and it's fine though. It doesn't bother me a bit because he still is, you know, the guy churned out what he did the music for fucking almost every Spielberg movie, <laughs> you know. He's he's done all all the Indiana Jones. Ones. He came up with Indiana Jones. He came up with Star Wars. He came up with E.T. Uh, fucking Close Encounters of the Third Kind, right? I think he did that one. The dude's won five Academy Awards. And he's been nominated for about fifty some. He's it's 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 just impressive. Anywho, that's my single favorite thing about Star Wars. What is your single favorite thing? My Alex? single favorite thing. I'm actually I'm gonna pick out. I'm gonna pinpoint two things really quickly. So one is my single favorite thing, and then two is is my second single favorite thing. So 
My favorite thing <laughs> at the at the end of the day, and these are connected. That's the only reason why I'm giving you two. So the, my favorite thing is I go back to, and I mentioned this a bit during our franchise finales episode. Because Return of the Jedi was my number one franchise finale. And it still probably always will be. That scene where Luke sort of elevates himself to this kind of superhero godlike figure where... You know, he goes from uh, on his home planet, no less. He goes from that farm boy to that that responsible warrior, that Jedi Knight. And when the green lightsaber strikes and contrasts with the sand and that shot where it's sort of a wide angle shot and it's him coming down almost tomahawk style uh, on one of Jabba's Jabba's henchmen. It's just so fucking good. And the John Williams score in the background accentuates it. And whenever I think of Star Wars, more than anything else, that shot of Luke with that lightsaber against the sands of Tatooine, there is something about it that just hits me every single time. I can't fucking explain it. Every single time. Now, that being said, I'd like to... uh, Justin Channel commented on, on my Facebook post about Star Wars way back in December... And a pretty funny comment, and I want to read that to you because I think, in fairness, in fairness to, to to Justin, he makes a pretty darn good point. So we're all talking about all sorts of, of favorite things, and you know, it's just it's a whole big Star Wars circle jerk, and it really, honestly, is. And it's it's me over over intellectualizing Star Wars, and then Justin Channel, after all these comments and what wound up being an eighty-one comment thread, says, <laughs> "When I rewatch them." Talking about the original series, this was my assessment. I like when they go pachu pachu and vroom, and then womp wa wa womp kishkati, and that part that's like vroom pakrash boom. I want all the toys, and it's like <laughs> honestly, yeah. Like I don't, I don't disagree with a single fucking word, whether real or fake, that he said. I over overly intellectualize these films made for children, and I do that because I have an emotional connection with them, and I always go back to thinking about my green toy lightsaber that I had, and and it just made me feel like more than I it, – it, it, every child should get to feel that way in that moment of being able to use their imagination to take themselves outside of themselves. And again, that's why I think Last Jedi for – all the fucking hate that it gets from this weird ass fan base. I think the last Jedi understands star Wars better than the fan base understands star Wars. And it's that moment with that little kid. He's got the ring. He's got the broom in his hand and he's pretending it's a lightsaber and he's inspired by Luke Skywalker. And like, aren't we all inspired by fucking Luke Skywalker? Isn't the whole fucking point of what we're doing here. Luke Skywalker is a name that will literally live forever. As long as there is, is, is essentially written recordings of history. Luke Skywalker's name will live on despite being a totally fictional fucking character. But so I just love that. I love that we can sit here and we have been on, we've spent, we, we did these episodes back to back and we've been talking for mm-hmm. hours, man, about fucking Star Wars. Yep. So that's what I, that's what yep. I love that this even exists. I love that we can do this. So my point is, my point is this, is that I can find something redemptive in any one of these fucking films, even the prequels, which I can identify as garbage as they are. 
I can identify one scene from each of those movies that I can say, okay, maybe not Attack of the Clones, but I can identify one fucking scene from Phantom Menace and Revenge of the Sith where I go, that's that's pretty good. That's really fucking good job, George Lucas. I wish the rest of the movie was like this. The fact that this exists at all has given us the ability to jump into this this fantastical universe and so many other fantastical universes that came after it. So I love that. I love I think Star Wars is is truly of the people. I sometimes think the people don't always appreciate what it is. Um, but it's like democracy, man. It's fucking messy and, and people don't seem to appreciate what they have. And then also you have a group of fascists who want to gatekeep. So um, that's Star Wars in a nutshell. We're done. We're available on Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spotify. Those are the platforms that you can find the movie spiel on and Apple. You can also check us out on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we have a website that I desperately need to update, themoviespiel.com. Hell yeah. Thank you for listening. Great shot, kid. That was one in a million. Remember, the Force will be with you, always.